2: into the lockdown like everybody else but um, we're making the best of it aren't we
1: well i can i can hear the birds though you're in the outdoors aren't you oh it's yeah it's a lovely day but <laughs> don't worry i am i am social distancing there's no one close by don't worry
0: this is the blue moon podcast coming up we've got all the news and views from manchester city's week Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show.
1: These days, Manchester City are synonymous with entertaining football. If you want to watch great goals and stylish play, then you can't go wrong with a Pep Guardiola team. For years, though, that wasn't always the case at City. There have been good spells, of course, but there have also been seasons where football was difficult to watch. In the early days of the Premier League, though, City became one of the division's great entertainers. They weren't a successful team by any of the usual measures, but when Brian Horton's time at Main Road Dugout was over, many supporters looked back at two very erratic but very entertaining campaigns. Welcome to this week's Bloom Moon Podcast, where we're travelling back to the 1993 94 and 1994 95 seasons to reflect on Horton's time at City. I'm your host, David Mooney, and for this one, I'm joined by Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. How you doing? I'm not too bad. Are you well? Good, good. Yeah, erratic and entertaining. That sounds like a, a good way to tell this. That's how I remember it. Yeah. It is. I mean, let's let, let's dive straight in there because Brian Horton took charge of, of City four games into the 93 94 season. Uh, so we're starting off by going back to around about August 1993. Um, just to kind of give a flavor the music has worked really well in these previous seasons taking us back to to, to that time so here's a selection of things that were in the charts back then
2: have any fond memories of that music at all it certainly wasn't what I was listening to I was um, very much in my um, late Manchester grunge era phase then really because but... I,
1: I I, was about oh, 93 I'd have been about six years old at that time um, and I know, it, I know it was Freddie Mercury we finished on there not Queen but I, I fucking loved Queen I'm not gonna <laughs> lie I, I just I knew the words to pretty much every Queen song and I was six years old it's fantastic I, um, I actually saw Queen at Main Road did you
2: Yes, uh, it was the first first concert I ever went to. When did they play my um, I didn't know they played. Um, probably about I don't know, probably about eighty seven or something like that. I think it wow. was. I think it was after Live Aid. Uh, you know, a couple of years after Live Aid. Uh, wow. Were they good? By status quo. <laughs> was it good? Um, I, um, not to your taste. Pro- probably. <laughs> but I would never go
1: there. Go, go and see Queen there. Well, obviously well, not. Yeah, well, not now, yeah. Um, right, so City began the 93 94 season with Peter Reid in charge, uh, but it was clear from behind the scenes that all was not well. Peter Swales brought in John Maddock, a former newspaper journalist, as general manager, and he said that he had the power to hire and fire at the club. The manager at the time was Peter Reid. Here's what he told us back in 2013.
3: I had problems with the chairman about. Uh, I think he went into Manchester Even News, if you look back, and said they had six million to spend, and it uh, wasn't forthcoming. So. I obviously, as a young manager and a bit hot-headed, wasn't happy with that, and there was there was unrest. Yeah, without a doubt. How did it affect
1: you to see John Maddock come in?
3: Well, uh, I wasn't I wasn't overly keen on the situation, um, and we had a couple of discussions about football, which I didn't agree with him, and, and it made me, me feelings known. And um, he asked me to get rid of me number two, and, and I said, "Well, am I the manager or are you?" So that was a bit of discontent and I let me feel as no one and I was gone after four games.
1: I was going to say the phrase that was used was uh, the
3: power to hire and fire. Well, that's, uh, God rest his soul, Mr Swales, isn't there now, so that's one to ask him, but I certainly got fired. <laughs> now then, there was, there was also rumours of, of falling out between players and, and Sam Ellis. I mean, what, what, what was I going think, on? I, I think that was instigated through the press by some... Uh, uh, hey, hey, I have rules to play. If you, I tell you what, if there's no no argument at a football club, I tell you what, you're not doing it right. Or oh, any any workplace, so rubbish as usual.
1: Did you get the the impression that the sack was on its way?
3: Yeah, yeah, because uh, some of the discussions me and the chairman had weren't um, very amicable. Let's put it that way. <music>
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Peter Reed speaking to the podcast. There, um, John, what, what did you make of, of the sacking of, of Reed? I think that City were
2: on the way down a little bit. You go if you put it into the context of when Howard Kendall had taken over, he he really steadied the ship. Uh, in fact, he did, he did more than that. Obviously, he obviously took them up to fifth place brought in a, a lot of ex-Everton players who were possibly past their best. Um, but, you know, they, were, they, they did a job and they and they responded to a new environment, really. Um, people like Alan Harper, who wasn't great at Everton. He, I thought he had a couple of good seasons at City. Adrian Heath, Peter Reid, uh, Neil Poynton. A couple of players like that. So it steadied the ship. And then, obviously, uh, Kendall decided to go back of Goodison Park, Peter Reid gets the job and from my point of view and I don't know whether other City fans agree who remember that side but it felt like they were going backwards and that that team was getting old and it wasn't being changed quickly enough That they were still relying on some of those older players when they really needed to freshen it up a bit, a bit smarter they brought in some new players but it, there was still a problem with that squad and also the style of play as well, it was a, it was a little bit long ball, um, which is okay when you're winning, which, which they were a lot of the time, That yeah, there's two fifth place finishes on the trot, but they weren't winning
1: quite as often as they, as they had been. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I um, like I say, was was about five, six years old at the time, so I don't really remember the the, the not even the style of play or, or how the seasons were going. I just remember kind of the odd trip to Main Road with my mum and dad. Um, but looking back, I mean, they finished ninth in the first Premier League season, fifth the two seasons before that. Um, I mean, they finished above United at that stage as well, so they were they were still a, they, they were still, I'd say, a fa- surely a fairly successful English side.
2: Yeah. Um... I think you go back to that the season they finished fifth under Peter Reid. I'm not, can't remember off the top of my head, but my memory seems to suggest that it was it was fifth, but it could have one defeat and it could have been ninth. It was one of those really tight finishes, and and they won the last game of the season and ended up finishing fifth. I I, I might be I might be getting mixed, but it it wasn't. You know, they weren't. It's not like now where you would say there are these are the five best teams in England or six best teams in England. there was a couple of good teams and then the rest was, were all in the mix.
1: Yeah, when when Swales sacked Breed, um, they, they had one point from the first four games of 93-94. Uh, of uh, it was suddenly Swales, he'd been chairman for 20 years, he was searching for his 11th manager. Um, how were the fans feeling about all that? Yeah, I just think it was, like I say, I thought it was time maybe to
2: look for something something fresh, but... I mean, City had been guilty, particularly during the 80s and the early 90s, of just ditching managers quickly and looking for a quick fix. Uh, I mean, certainly I wouldn't necessarily agree with too many, disagree with too many of those sackings, you know. Go back to John Bond um, and then Billy McNeil decided to leave himself and then the rest, rest made, made it very difficult for them to justify staying. Um, you know, Machin and and then Kendall left. He decided to leave, and then and it was probably I think the right decision that it felt like Reed had sort of lost lost a way of taking the club forward. I mean, he had it was a decent squad in some areas. Um, he had you know you had players like Now Quinn. Uh, Keith Curl, David White, who were you know really good players. Tony Coleman was a good keeper. And you had a half dozen good, you know, good first division players. Um, I think in you know, like Ian Brightwell and Mike Sheeran. But then there was some there were some older players who were who were getting you know who weren't as effective and needed replacing. And there was there was a bit of a feeling that perhaps they'd gone as far as they could. To read and
1: just needed us needed something a fresh, fresh idea. yeah. yeah. Um, well, at the time, City were looking at Steve copple Joe Royal, Rodney Marsh, Terry Venables as, as the new boss. Um, all names that 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 fans were aware of. Uh, they ended up with Brian Horton uh, from Oxford. So, I mean, were you to be honest? Were you expecting a bigger name at that time? Well,
2: yeah. I mean, I remember listening to Piccadilly Radio and um, either Swales or or Maddock came on and said, um, well, "We're not going to say who it is." But it's definitely someone the fans are going to get very excited about. Um, and you thought, well, right, okay, then. that's that's promising. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't remember the names that were in the frame um, too much. I mean, a couple at the time was a, was an exciting manager with Palace, um, but I think there was still a bit of reticence because of his United links.
1: There still was when he got uh, the job years later, yeah, wasn't it?
2: So yeah, and then um Joe, yeah someone like Joe Royal I think he decided to stay to Oldham and I think that's it, I think people would would have really liked Joe um but it I think it says everything about Joe Royal that no one holds hold, held it against him that he decided to stay at Oldham I think at the time that Oldham were probably a side that were going places and yeah um, it was, you know, they really did everything they could to keep him. And I, 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 I don't think it was the worst thing. I think it was understandable that he stayed. Um, but as for as for Rodney Marsh, I don't, I don't remember his name being in the frame, but I think that, that would have been a
1: disaster. <laughs> so now, be honest, John. Uh, were you one of those who was asking Brian who? Yeah, exactly that. Um, like I say, after, after hearing
2: what um, was said about who the next manager was going to be, it was hugely underwhelming, you know. Uh, it was it was more common then for a, a, a for a manager to come from a, a lower league club and into the into the top division, but it was it, it wasn't even like he was tearing up trees at Oxford. He was, you know, they weren't they weren't a, the, Oxford weren't on people's radars in terms of being the one of the best lower league teams or be, playing attractive football. It was just they would. Yeah, the, the,
1: they were the Oxford that I've known all my life. Just at eighteen, just existed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we spoke to Brian Horton back in 2012 on the podcast. Here's what he said about getting the job at Main Road.
4: When I got the opportunity to uh, to take the job, um, and I took it on the Friday as they were playing Coventry City on the Friday night. Um, you can't turn jobs like that down, and I thought I'd earn my stripes. To be fair, you know, I'd had five years at All City with one promotion. Managing the championship for four there, went to Oxford managing the championship for nearly five there, so ten years, champ managing the championship, you know. So, um, a lot of people obviously thought at the time, you know, that I probably wasn't big enough name to to go in there, but um, I I didn't feel that way. So I set out to enjoy it as much as I could, you know. And then um, I think I won them round eventually with the football that I played, and really enjoyed my time there.
1: I was going to ask, how did it feel to hear uh, fans asking things like Brian Who?
4: It was. It, it was only. A, it's. It's a minority, isn't it? You know. It's generally a minority. Um, Brian, who, when I'd played there, and I'd managed there, so I, I, I took that with a pinch of salt, and I think that's the, that's how the press perceived it, really. But um, you got. You have to believe in your own ability, and I did. And and you know, by the time I left, I think people had realised that I had brought some good players in. I had played some good football, and that uh, it was two years of. Uh, Of enjoyment on my part, I just set out to enjoy it. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards found them. Software engineers found
5: that project manager I could never seem to hire,
4: and found LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, eighty-six percent of small businesses get a qualified candidate within twenty-four hours. Post your first job for free and get started at LinkedIn.com/spoken. That's LinkedIn.com/spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
1: So that was Brian Horton speaking to us, uh, well, goodness me, almost a decade ago on the podcast. Um, He wanted an attacking style of play, and in that first season, he let striker David White go, but brought in the likes of Paul Walsh, Nicky Summerbee and Uwe Rosler. Um, How much work do you think that squad needed at that time, John? You were already saying that that it was quite ageing. Was it the refresh that it needed?
2: Yeah, it was... I think the, if I if I remember it as from from a fan's point of view, it felt like it had gone all gone a bit stale, um, and it needed a needed a, new, a sort of new a new look to it, um, which is certainly what he did. You know, getting rid of David White was was not a was an uncomfortable decision because he was a homegrown player, but he he, he looked like he was wasn't as great as he had been. Um Rick Holden was another one who went out. He you know, he'd he never worked. So you're he getting rid of the two wingers there who, who who weren't hadn't been working in that last season under Reid and then he, he brought in sort of the likes, you know, just brought in a bit of attacking flair, Beagree from Everton, Walsh, uh Nicky Somerby, and you know, suddenly there's a bit of a bit of excitement and a bit of a, a bit of a change about the way they were playing. It's a bit more fluent,
1: a bit more Flamboyant, I suppose. Did you know much about the players that that were coming in at the time? Because I mean, this we, we always talk about the nineties as, as uh, when you talk about players coming in from abroad, not knowing who they are because you can't just go on YouTube and find out. So I'm, I'm guessing Rosley you didn't know anything about. But like a lot of these transfers have come from elsewhere in England. So I mean, was there was there excitement at what he was building? I don't think they were massive signings
2: in the likes of you know, a couple of years before Keith Curl and Terry Phelan had arrived for big money. So you were expecting a lot from them um, you know Paul Walsh has been a good player he'd been a great player as a young as a young when he first broke out at Luton and then at Liverpool and I don't know he just lost his way slightly and he, he'd gone to various places so it was always a bit of a gamble P- Peter Beagree was you know was one of the most skillful players I've ever seen but his decision making was the problem <laughs> because he just <laughs> and I don't think that changed when he came to City but you know, there was no one who could dummy he could fake and cut inside and then but then he'd go out dummy <laughs> and he just wanted to be a player three or four times and it was brilliant he was brilliant for, for Stoke and he was brilliant for everton um but he just it, it had become a frustration I think for everton um I don't think there were moments when it was frustrating for at city but he, I think he was he, I think he was better. City
1: and better with his decision making. Yeah. Um, well, here's here's Brian Horton again talking about getting those players in.
4: I knew Man City uh, fans loved attacking football with the two wide players, and that's what I did in in bringing Peter B Be- and uh, Nicky Summerbine, bringing Uwe Rosler in, Paul Walshin. So mainly they were they were strikers that are brought in, you know, which which the club needed. Niall Niall Quinn had had a uh, an awful knee injury, you know, with a cruciate ligament. Um, sold david white and mike sharon so i i, I pull those players in uva um, was a revelation for three hundred and fifty thousand pounds i mean he was just incredible and you know after i'd left and all oh, whilst i was there as it happens to to hear him singing his name and the way they did and and all the fans love walsh the players love walsh because was good in the dressing room uh, but he was standing, also an outstanding footballer he, uh, he scored goals he worked hard he was good in the dressing room and so were they all nicky Played his part by being probably the, the least offensive of the of the four because he he did his duties coming back to make the three with Gary Flickcroft and Steve Lomas uh, Peter Bigge out and out winger again fantastic ability fantastic footballer and fantastic person again good in the dressing room so we had a good spirit about us you know and I thought towards the end um, when I, I realised it was coming knew it was probably coming that I thought two or three players. We could have been a really outstanding side I had the likes of Tony Coton and Keith Curl and, and people like that uh, that I inherited, Gary Flickcroft, Steve Lomas. I mean, Steve was, that was the first thing I ever had to do. I don't know many people knew about the this story that one of the first phone calls I got was from Preston North End, ironically, about uh, doing a swap for S- Steve Lomas and one of their players and I was paying 100 grand and I said, can I get this right, that I'm giving you 100 grand and Steve Lomas for one of your players? So I turned that down, obviously, and then Steve got in the side, and uh, him and Gary Flickcroft were tremendous together.
1: Of the players that you brought in, did you ever think that any of them were a gamble? Do you think, like uh, snapping up Uwe Rosler, like you mentioned, um, on, uh, do you think that that was a gamble for you, or did you know what you were getting?
4: Um, it, it was a um, it was a lucky one, really, because an agent just rang me to see what I wanted, and Niall had just had his had a cruciate knee uh, operation, so we were short of strikers, and uh, and I said, yeah, I'm looking for a striker. He said, I've got an East German uh, international. I'd uh, never heard of Uwe Rossler. I speak to him almost every week now. And um, he, uh, he said, you can have him on trial. So uh, we got him on trial. Uh, put him in the reserve game on the Tuesday night. He scored. I got him off at half-time. And I put him in the team at QPR on a Saturday. And he made the goal, I think, if I'm right, for Walsh. So um, he proved to be a very, very good player. Every transfer is a gamble. And every million you spend is a gamble, because some come off, some don't come off. So for three hundred and fifty grand, it wasn't much of a gamble, wasn't? It? it wasn't like thirty-five million, you know, that you're gambling. But he was a fantastic. They were, they, they, they were those, those players that I had at the time. That they, they had a um, a great team spirit about them, you know. And uh, I, I like that. I like characters. I don't, I don't want people to be subservient and. You know, listen and do everything you tell them to do. You want you want players with a spark and a and a bit of um, communication and, and 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 devilment about them at times. You know, and and, and those players certainly did. T. C. was a great character. Curly, captain, was a character. Niall was a great character around the dressing room. They were they were brilliant to work with.
0: You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
4: Now, one of the new
1: players that fans quickly took to was Uwe Rosler. He was the first German player to score in the Premier League. And in the years since the Second World War, few Germans had made their careers in English football. Uh, here's what he said to the podcast in 2013 about joining City.
5: I couldn't communicate much um, because my English was non- non-existent. Um and I'm driven very much on communication, so it was very difficult for me to communicate. But um, the teammates I had around me, all credit to them, they took a lot of effort to integrate me. And sometimes I felt it was very difficult to integrate a person who, who can't speak. So, um, but they were uh, they put a lot of effort in. Or the manager put also a lot of effort in to show me on the tactic board and try to communicate and. And um, over time, I picked up quite quick. Maybe not the most sophisticated English, but uh, around Mosside, so <laughs> Mosside, Mosside English. And no, I think um, obviously it helped when Paul Walsh, Peter Bigry, I, and Stefan Carl came in. The results improved, and the players around me made it easy for me to settle. And um, the relationship with the manager went from strength to strength. Um, I also said the big part. Was also Francis Lee, uh, just appointed as a new chairman. I think I was his first signing, and um, uh, his son Gary, who is now one of my best friends in England, um, really, really looked after me and helped me in the, in the first part. And um, I think that all. There was a lot of people who helped me on the road to settle very quick for in this football club.
0: For a pledge of two dollars a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on Patreon.com/slash forward BlueMoonPodcast.
1: So, John, one of the one of the first big players of of the Horton era to talk about is Uwe Rosler. Um, I, what what did you know about him at the time when he came in? What we what were your impressions of him? Uh, nothing. I didn't
2: know anything about him. Um, you know, I, I, there was a lot less known. About European players then, um, City had, had a a few. They were starting to become more regular, uh, but they weren't. They certainly weren't sort of. You know, I don't, I don't remember City signing an international with perhaps the exception of Inga Brixen, um, who was, you know, it was. It was Norway weren't a great team then, so they they'd signed a couple of players from. I think it was Stefan Karl. It, it was German. Gronendijk was Dutch, Vonk was Dutch, but they weren't anywhere near the national teams.
1: Should also say at this point as well, this was a time when there were rules in place to say you could only have a certain number of foreign players in the team.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, but the, the impression was that he wasn't, you know, he you know, that, that Germany team around then was a very, very good team, and Rosler was nowhere near the national team. So, you, so you knew you weren't, well, you weren't expecting a, a top player, but on top of that, he was—he was an East German, which you know wasn't too long after the, the fall of the Berlin Wall. And you know, East, East German football in the years before was a long, long way behind West German football. So, yeah, I think it
1: was—I think it was more hope than expectation when he arrived. Horton says that the fans took to him quickly. Uh, was that true? I
2: don't think I don't think they took to him as quickly as perhaps hindsight would suggest because he struggled at first. To, to, he didn't. I don't think he scored in his, his first few games. And I think people liked his work rate. Uh, he worked very, very hard, very honest. You know, gave everything. chased saw every lost cause and was determined. And he had a good relationship with the fans. He seemed to. That seemed to come naturally to him. That he would just just clap the fans and things like that, and 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 appreciate it, appreciate every, when they appreciated him. So I think that was always a good start. Um, but I, I'm not sure that anyone thought, you know, this is
1: this is a player that the fans are going to going to absolutely love. Yeah. What What was he good at? What What did he offer City that they hadn't had? Because Horton says he wanted a striker, and, and Rosler came in at the right time, sort of thing. I think they they
2: needed a, a little bit more mobility after the Quinn and White years. You know, love Niall Quinn. He was, he was a great player, and he, and is often written off. You know, as just a target man. He you know, he didn't have any pace. Um, he, had, he had a lot more skill than people give him credit for. But he didn't have any pace. White had a lot of pace, but you know, sometimes his decision making wasn't great. Was Rosler was a bit more of an all rounder. You know, he had. He, he he could play with the ball at his feet. He could pass. He could work hard. He could score goals. Um, like, like I say, he wasn't those first few games. You just thought, yeah, he's he's okay. But gradually, things started to change. And then at, at the end of that season, he just he started to to find his um, his scoring boots. And once one got in, he, he he went on a bit of a run of scoring goals. And suddenly, you know, you thought, actually, this has got a bit of a player. here.
1: Yeah, well, let's uh, let's hear from him again. He would go on to form one of the most memorable city strike partnerships with Paul Walsh, another Brian Horton signing. Um, here's what Rosler told us about linking up with his fellow striker.
5: I believe very much on working on a training ground and working with players and uh, and um, and uh, try to uh, build relation between the strikers and the wingers and the midfielders. And uh, but with Paul, was totally opposite. With Paul, was just to put two strangers on the field, and after two or three. Games they certainly try to function, and we have never really trained on. Uh, there was chemistry f- more or less from the first moment. We needed some time to adapt, but uh, we was just in our way of play different, and we accomplished each other very well. And normally, when you have a strike partnership, it's always one who suffer, one who's working very hard, and now one to put the ball in the net. But in our case, both of us, uh, we got the credit in terms of goals. Paul had one of his best years. Uh, I think he scored 16, 17, 18 goals uh, I scored in the following year 23. So we both got the rewards for the hard work we was putting in and and I felt we we really um, liked to play with each other and we really appreciated each other very much. And with with Peter Bigree and Nicky Summerby on the wings. Yes. Do you feel
1: that was that was kind of like the, the best
5: system for you as an individual? I always, uh, main road was a big pitch, I felt uh, the movement Paul and I had up front, there was a lot of gaps, uh, we ex- we exploited them and um, obviously that gave also the wingers a lot of play, uh, space to to do their trickery, especially Peter Beekery, who was an excellent dribbler, could cross from the inside, from the outside, very accurate with both feet. Uh, Nicky Summerbee, uh was a, a more a direct one, who shifted the ball quickly like David Beckham and bent it around the defender. And uh, and and don't forget we, Nile Quinn after his absence with the injury, Nile Quinn came in and at at some point we played with three strikers up front, totally uh, offensive football, and uh, and I think we had so many different options to attack, a lot of energy in the center midfield with uh, Stevie Lomas and uh, Gary Flitcroft, uh, Fitzroy Simpson, so the, there was a lot of positive uh, offensive football at the time and uh, a lot of so- our supporters. Still remember uh, that period because of the amount of goals and the fluent attacking football we had played.
6: You're
0: listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.
1: Was it that moment where those two hit it off, John? That that was that, that really kicked that Horton team into gear. Do you think?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think I think Niall Quinn had a, a serious injury and he was out for a while, and so they they were sort of slightly forced into playing Rosler and Walsh and. It just it just was the confidence just seemed to grow, um, uh, between the two of them. And you know, Walsh was getting you know, like I say, Walsh was always a, had been a great player, and he was you know, he was really finding that form that uh, a real sort of rejuvenation of his and his skill and his energy. He looked like he was really enjoying himself. And with each passing game, Rosler seemed to grow in confidence and was being talked about as one of the best. Strikers in the Premier League, um, you know, he was, he was just scoring on a regular basis. He had a great relationship with the club that was growing all the time. Um, you know, it was that, I'm, not, I'm not sure you'd probably do it now, but there was that T-shirt, the uh, <laughs> Rossler's granddad bombed Old Trafford, which
1: did not nearly you know, cause it, a diplomatic incident at one stage. Well,
2: I, <laughs> I think you, I don't think you'd do it now, but it was and then. It was a bit of a bit of a joke, um, but he was just. Uwe just seemed to understand what it was, that what the City fans wanted from him and did it, gave it to them, worked hard, gave everything, enjoyed playing, uh, wearing a City
1: shirt. And, and it was, um, yeah, it, it, it all worked out really well. Why, I mean, why do you think it did? Was it, was it just how, were all these components just in the right place at the right time? Because they're going to come on, like, City made the pitch as big as they could. They had um, Peter Beagrey one side, Nicky Somerby on the other, just stretching the game all the time. Did that just, work? why did that just work so well?
2: Yeah, probably they, they, they did have a bit more width. Um, and, but I think Horton's philosophy was to go out, was to try and win every game, Um which was great when it paid off, but I think you also have to remember that there were some very very painful defeats during his time there. Um, you know, he, I, they lost five nil at, at Old Trafford, which is still the worst defeat I can remember against United. Um, and went, the worst, the worst match I can remember going to watch City was the most painful, certainly was the quarter final league cup defeat at crystal palace where they lost 4-0 and were absolutely terrible um and then that was that was a that, that was a hard defeat to take because they were awful in the first half absolutely terrible and somehow it was 0-0 at half time and you thought well
1: they've well, got away terrible. with it sort of thing yeah.
2: yeah they won't be as bad in the second half and they were even worse and lost 4-0 so <laughs> Yeah, as brilliant as it was to go out attacking, sometimes it was it was very very
1: painful. What uh, I, we've talked a bit about Peter Beagry. Uh fans. I think fans remember him quite well, don't they? Oh, I, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, why? Yeah. Why not Nicky
2: Somerby then? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the easy answer is that he he wasn't as good as Biggi. That's a simple answer. I, the thing was, I think when Nicky Somerby arrived, everybody really wanted it to be a success, particularly the older city fans. Who loved Mike, loved everything about Mike, still do, um, and they really wanted Nikki to be Mike Mark II. And I, mean, I never saw Mike Somebody play, but he wasn't quite as good. Um, and sometimes, you know, yeah, he, he had good games. Don't get me wrong. You know, he has some made some big contributions, and people did like him. But sometimes, it was, you know, he just, he just had bad games and occasionally he would, he would he was one of those players who looked like he was being lazy and that's not necessarily the way he was playing the game i think you know i think you know you take from, i always think i don't know if chris waddle was one who, like that who always looked like he was lazy but he gave everything and somerbill was a bit like that he looked sometimes like he he didn't care um, which i'm sure he did
1: yeah, it was, a, it was perhaps, a, like you said, it was perhaps a tough move for him given that he, he played as a right-sided winger and that's where his dad Mike had made his name in the iconic City team of the 60s. Um, here's what he told us way back in 2010 about making the
6: move to Main Road. With dad and the connections with dad, we used to come all the time to, to uh, Main Road, what it was at the time. You know, he used to love that, you used to go to the Derby games and all that and there was only one choice. and we used to had a couple of other clubs interested, I had Celtic, Villa... Middlesbrough. Brian Robson was there. Man City, and there was only one choice for me: Manchester you know, Manchester City.
1: Did you feel any extra pressure going there because of uh, of how your dad had played in the in the team?
6: No. People ask me, you know, what's it like? Obviously, having a famous dad, I don't know any different. My dad's my dad at the end of the day, and that's you know, that's what it is. But going there, it wasn't. No, it was for me. I wanted to be a better player than dad. I wasn't, but I wanted to be a better player than I mean, him, and that was. You know, if if I lived my life again, I'd still do it. And the city fans gave me a good crack at it. You know, don't you? Know, don't don't get me wrong. they you know, they, you know yeah, I knew what dad was all about, but it never made any difference at all for me. Why wouldn't you know? I wanted, for me, I wanted to play in Manchester derbies. You know, and obviously some of the players that were there at the time. So the dressing room was Niall Quinn, Nouve Rosler, Gary Flickcroft, Keith Curl, Teddy Field, and all all top players, Tony Coe, and all top players. So, for me, there was never never in any question at all. <laughs>
0: Get involved with the debate on Twitter, at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: So John, I want to to talk about some standout matches um, in in Horton's time at City, Uh, notably the, the Spurs and Blackburn games. Um, Horton's two seasons at City were up and down they finished in the lower half of the Premier League each time 16th and 17th uh, we should say that this was a 22 team league then not a 20 team league um, and they did suffer some heavy defeats like you said but they also played in some big impressive wins as well uh, I, I, the one that I think a lot of people will say stands out is uh, that 5-2 win over Spurs in Horton's second season isn't it?
2: Yeah I would say that was that is the game to remember Brian Horton by in his time at City. I mean, it was just a, it was a fantastic day, fantastic game. Um, but I think if you put it into the context of the time, that was a really good Spurs team. Um, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann was was playing up front that day with Teddy Sheringham. Um, they, you know, there was a lot of excitement about that Tottenham team. They were there were there was a lot of media buzz about them. So they were. They, they, I think mean, they were starting to drop off. Drop off a little bit after a good start, but that was a good team. Popescu was playing for them as well. A couple of other names. So you know, they they came to Main Road as as a big side, and City absolutely trounced them that day. And in a in just a magical display of football, it was just a lot of fun that day. And the way that City played, they was just brilliant. They they were it just seemed faster, uh, just sharper all over the pitch. You know, just. Just the movement, the passing, everything was better. Um, beating players one on one, Walsh was 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 right at it. Beagley was at, was at it. It was just fantastic.
1: Even now, given what you've seen Guardiola's City do and and uh, how they've played in the Premier League in the last couple of years, does it still feel like it's up there as one of City's best ever performances? Um, because you have to. I mean, you have to take context into into consideration as well for that.
2: I think if you if you put it into the context of you know watching City at Main Road for a long time and then getting a performance like that, that that's what made it memorable. You know if you know you take you take this season um, and beating Watford eight you nil, know, City were absolutely fantastic this that day, destroyed Watford, pulled them apart you know it was it was they they could have scored 15 goals so and that is not even a memorable game is it really in the in the pep era so so in the context of is it one of the greatest performances i've ever seen no
1: is it one of the most memorable yeah right well let's let's have a listen to the incidents from that game uh, here's here's the match of the day commentary from john motson
7: Wind waiting it's wall goal wall scores against his old club and the City fans salute another quick strike by the top scorer. Played in, first of all, towards Quinn. It ran loose, and look at the way Walsh touched that in. Klinsman, oh, he's in here! Oh, penalty, is it? Yes, got to be. The crowd think Klinsman died, City fans, that is. And Domitrescu takes the penalty with Summerflon just inside him is Mass. Walsh and Quinn are in the middle Walsh! Quinn! <laughs> Niall Quinn makes it 2-1 and the direct style of City here pays off, it's Summerbee's cross Walsh comes in first, Watch the save by Walker, did his and best but Niall Quinn is on goal. hand and a really good cross by Nicky Somerby a good header by Walsh And a great follow-up by Quinn. Oh, look at that from Bigri. That's real wing play. Vintage stuff. Quinn. Walsh is in the centre waiting. Walsh! It's there! Oh, what a great goal. There's no other word for it. And it's still going to be Klinsman. Back heel to Dumitrescu. Deflection. Goal! Spurs have got one back in the first minute of the second half. And the overseas connection works again. Oh! It's Lomas. Number four. And again from across. So sprightly. What a good run by Paul Walsh. He's still there. Oh, and yes Flickcroft. Wonderfully well made by Walsh. And put away cleanly by Gary Flickcroft who congratulates the man who made it possible, just look at this, taking them all on. Two or three of them in his wake. I thought he was going to shoot there for a minute, so did Tottenham. He checked back in, squared it, and Gary Flitcroft makes it 5-2 to City, with about ten minutes to go. So alongside
1: that game, uh, another fans often remember is one that nearly helped rivals Manchester United uh, win the title. City went to Ewood Park in April 1995 as Blackburn were trying to get over the line ahead of United for the title. And City went there and won 3-2. Here's Brian Horton talking about both of those games.
4: We had some great performances still at the end of the season. The Blackburn away 3-2. That was towards the end. That was a great. We nearly stopped Blackburn winning the league. And some of our fans didn't want us to do that because they didn't want Man United to win the league. So, although our fans celebrated that night, I've still got it on tape, or disc, whatever you call them, and uh, DVD, and the Tottenham game. John Watson, the Tottenham game, and everybody, every, I wish I had a pound for every supporter of Manchester City that said, I remember that game against Tottenham, 5-2. They had Petrescu, Dumitrescu, Nicky Barmby, Sherringham. What a side they had, um, Klinsman. What a side we beat them 5-2, Um my side that day was was absolutely awesome. John John Watson said to me, "It's one of the best games he's ever ever commentated on." Now that takes some saying, that takes some doing, and it could have been ten eight to us. It could have been yeah, it could have been anything, but it was a great game of football. And as long as you win, and I, I think I, I think I got that off David. Pleat more than some of my other managers. That no matter what you won by, as long as you won. And it was entertaining and, and and it was a joy to watch Then it didn't matter. So um, some games you come off and you've drawn 0-0 or won 1-0 and it's not been a great game. You haven't really, really enjoyed it yourself because you are meant to enjoy football. And I know the City fans now are enjoying watching watching Man City play at this present time and and, I, and I'm delighted, you know, so... Uh, that's what I set out to do, and and I think I achieved it. So, kind of, you score five, we'll score six. Attitude, absolutely. And the players had at that time, uh, were, were scoring lots of goals. It would be Everton four 0 There's games you could re- you know, that, that I can look back on that I thought tremendous games of football, which I knew the Man City fans wanted.
0: Please give us your backing. Patreon.com/slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: What do you remember of uh, of that Ewood Park game, John? <laughs> Not a lot,
2: to be honest. I had to <laughs> refresh myself um, watching it on YouTube. I, I,
1: did, I sat down to
2: watch it, and you know what? I was captivated by it all. I, but it, it did start to come back quite quickly when I started watching it. And the thing, I, a couple of things to, to that came back quickly were that that was a really good Blackburn team. You know, there was some of those names on that side. Were, that was that's. That's a really strong team, the City B, and also I, I do remember it was just a matter of time in the second half. It was just so much better. City completely deserved it. They, they battered them in the second half and, um, and and deserved
1: deserved to win. Did you were you worried at, at that time about oh God, we've just handed United the title? Um, I I, no, I don't recall that. I mean, I I,
2: th- I thought it was a couple of years before been through it with Leeds when they won the title and city had beaten them 4-0 <laughs> in the towards the end of the season and thinking right that's just giving you a title <laughs> and then um, and then getting a getting a draw at old trafford to sort of even it out um but again those days it, a defeat didn't mean as much then you know teams drop points all over the place i mean it's it, it's almost unthinkable now that a team would need a win on the last day of the season to get the title and not win, which was what Blackburn did. And then the team in second place just needed a win to go <laughs> to win the league, which United did on that last day at West Ham and not win either. So for the two teams need, needing a win on the final day and to not do it, it's just. It's just unthinkable these days. So it,
1: it would be it, like last season if City had not beaten Brighton and Liverpool had not beaten Wolves.
2: Yeah, that that would never have happened. One of the teams was going to win. Um, so although City won that day, yeah, it didn't feel it. It was probably an important part of the title at the time. Was part of the influential and title race, but, but it wasn't. And but but also, you know, City, City had to be careful. It was they were never far too far away from. Being pulled into the relegation pile,
1: yeah. They, um, I, the one thing that struck me from watching the highlights of that game, uh, as well, state of that pitch, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I it was uh, for late in the season as well, it was a rat right mess. It was like, like it was a mud bath in the middle, and I just, I, I honestly, it got me thinking, I can't remember the last time I saw a Premier League pitch like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, Blackburn was always bad,
2: but the other, I think, the other thing about that game, if you put it into context of United winning the title, is that I think. City fans have always enjoyed going to Ewood Park because you get a, you get a fantastic away allocation, um, and you know it's just down the road, so it's always full. It's always a good day out that
1: one. Yeah, um, the kit as well that uh, that black and white stripes with the grey mesh at the sides. What was that all about? <laughs> horrendous, <laughs> absolutely awful. It's not hard yeah. to get a City black and white uh, black and red kit, right? Is it? And uh, and here we are with that horrendous effort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's a couple of bullets on show as well. It's not not a great era. It's of its time, isn't it, let's say. Um, (laughs) uh, Let's have a listen to the key moments from that Blackburn game. Uh, Here's commentary by Tony Gilbert.
8: Oh, Coulton's kick has gone straight to Shearer. It's a gift. And Tony Coulton was the culprit. That's well delivered. Flowers is coming. The whistle's gone. Oh, It looks like he's given a penalty Keith Cooper has awarded a penalty But it's Keith Curl who's placed the ball on the spot And Flowers To face a penalty Half an hour gone It's 1-1 Hendry, it's in He does it again The hero defender And another one For Tony Coton to rue Trying to pick out Quinn, Hendry's header down. Rossler, well placed, good goal. It's the first chance that he's had, and he's tucked it away with real aplomb. Now got to get it back to Somerville. Here's Somerville, similar position from which he scored against Liverpool. It's saved. Walsh, it's in. City lead 3-2. Paul Walsh. That's for Rossler to run down. Rossler's free. Over the top of Flower the bar. Oh, how close are they going to come? City have won, and Blackburn's
4: grip on the Premiership isn't secure yet. It's a crazy season. I mean, it keeps chopping and changing, but we probably still need one. The the way the results have gone over the last couple of days. What I'm pleased about today as well, the supporters have come tonight and and witnessed a good game, and we've sent them home a little bit happier because we've let them down the second half of the season after being so good first half. You know, we're in the quarterfinals of the Coca-Cola six, and then all of a sudden we've had a a tremendous dip. But performances like that lift everyone, and that's a magnificent uh, result for everyone at Man City.
0: You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now.
2: The other thing I remember about that was that penalty. I've also rewatched that on YouTube, and I still don't know why. it why so was, sure yeah, why why was given? Why was given?
1: Why on earth? But I mean, look at it as well. Look at the goals City conceded. Both of them. Tony Coton. <laughs> yeah. What's he? What's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... If we can blame the pitch on that one, we'll let him off on that one. We'll let him off on that one. Um, right, well, uh, well, Brian Horton admitted his side had underperformed in the second half of that season. Uh, when he spoke to us, he reckoned that the final position of the team wasn't reflective of how well they played.
4: They weren't just above the relegation zone. We, we were never in relegation trouble. So I, I, don't need, I don't want to hear that word, really, because we weren't. I think had we, won, had we beat Q P on the last Saturday and we lost 1-0 to a poor goal, I think we'd have finished above halfway as it happens I think we dropped to 18 so it wasn't a relegation it looked poor in the end and we'd been better than that because I think at Christmas we were six in the league and um, obviously with the chairman that was in uh, he knew I was going so he wouldn't give me any more money to buy buy players so with the injuries a couple of injuries I had Tony Cotan got injured so uh, it was almost inevitable really that the the season would would fall away and that hurt me more than anything because I didn't want to leave Man City that way because we were better than that
0: (laughs) hear all of our city interviews on our website bluemoonpodcast.com.
1: now john they always say that the league table never lies uh, was city better than the, the than the position showed that season or or is horton maybe not may, maybe been a bit generous on his team there?
2: um well, I mean I don't always agree with that the, the table reflects you know what sort of a season you've you' have had you know it can only be a one point difference and things like that so maybe maybe it was slightly unfair um, I think the, the the other thing to recall in the, all this is you, you you remember the the big wins, you remember the big defeats, but just sort of going through the results of that season, there were a lot of games that just drifted away that were 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 they were just comfortable away defeats where you never expected them to uh, you know do you know what I mean? They just sort of yeah. wins that they the away, were away defeats that you just yeah, there you go, that's another 2 0 defeat at wherever. Yeah. 2 0 uh, at
1: West Ham, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So there were a lot of those. It was uh, during Horton's first season that Swales was ousted as chairman, as Francis Lee came in. Um, did that have any effects on the on what was happening on the pitch?
2: I think there was a lot of off the field problems. Um you, could, you know, there were people outside Main Road at full time, um, chanting for Swales out and you know, there was a lot of excitement for for Franny Lee because of everything that he was um, in terms of being a city legend. Um, but also, there was he was suggesting that he was going to put money into the club and put them back amongst the you know the big boys. So it wasn't it wasn't an easy time to be a manager. Um, it it did spill out over into the stands on occasions. There were you know there were chants of swales and things like that, but. So it wasn't easy for him now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's difficult to, to kind of judge because um, on the one hand, you can say that, that Horton, that, that Francis Lee wanted to bring in his own man in, in Alan Ball, which he did at the start of the 95-96 season. Uh, but equally, he did give Horton a second season. So he, like, he, he got a fair, fair crack of the whip at the job, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he did. Um, and and, and, and he, right. deserved a, he deserved a second season. No doubt about that. You know, there was a lot to get excited about. There was there was good youngsters coming through the team then as well. Don't forget, I mean, I think Gary Flickcroft is one of the best players that have come through the youth team that I, I've seen, and Edgio was was great then as well, and Lomas was coming through. There were a lot of there were a lot of good young players, and there was a lot lot of things to get excited about. Um, you know, it was still, although the although the the finishes weren't great, sixteenth and seventeenth, like you say. You know, it was it, it was still something worth going to watch, and there was there was some excitement
1: about it. Yeah, well, here here is Brian Horton speaking about the decision to sack him. Uh, I asked him if he thought Francis Lee just wanted his own man in the dugout.
4: Yeah, absolutely. That, that's uh, spot on. At, at the Christmas, we, well, I think we were six in the league um, around that time, and I think we were in the quarter final of the Coca Cola Cup. I think it was Coca Cola, whatever, and we lost at. Uh, we lost to Crystal Palace to, to Wimbledon, wasn't it, I think. And uh Stevie Lowe almost broke his leg that day. It was a it was a game where it was probably the worst draw you could get in a game that we fancied winning to be fair, and everything went wrong on that day and then so we went out of that. We'd beaten Newcastle away in the in the in the early round, and everybody thought it was gonna be our year. Um but it wasn't so you can sense it. You, you you know, I mean I've been in football long enough to know when things like that are gonna happen and and, and Chairman won't give you any more money to buy players, then, you know, it's, uh, it's inevitable.
0: Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
1: So, John, knowing that, that Lee did bring in Alan Ball, uh, one of his one of his best mates, do you agree with, with Horton's assessment there?
2: Yeah, I think it was coming. Um, I think I think oh, throughout it all, there was always a feeling that he wasn't Franny's man and eventually that would happen um how are the fans feeling about it though uh, well again again like all the sackings I think there was a justification for it um you know we talk about those horrendous defeats you know they then certainly the the cups were were important and there was some were you know like that palace defeat was 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 painful they lost at cardiff in the FA Cup, um, you know, there was, there was another couple of bad defeats, and so I, I think there was, there was still a, there was still a feeling of who, you know, Brian, who, you know, who is, who is this guy? He's not a, he's not a, super, he wasn't a superstar footballer, he's not a superstar
1: manager. Um, let's try and get someone bigger. Again, let's freshen it up. Like like they'd done two yeah. years earlier, let's freshen it yeah. up. Um, the players weren't exactly happy, it seems. Uh, here's Nicky Summerby speaking about uh, the different managers he had at City, starting off with Brian Horton.
6: He wanted me to play as an out-and-out winger. We played 4-4-2, me and Peter Beagley on the both wing. Now Quinn, uh, Uwe Roser up front, Paul Walsh was there as well. And that season, we actually we actually created more more chances than anyone else in the league, but the opposite side, we conceded a lot more. So, on my on my side there was... You know, it's, you know, I think he was probably the best. When me, Alan Ball came in, he, he, he had his way, which he was, he, was, he was a lot more aggressive with his, his approach, really. Uh, all the rest from Frank Clark. It was all right with Frank for a, for a brief spell, but then all of a sudden he wanted Craig Russell, and that's when the time to move was. But all in all, it was Brian Orton, really. I'd like to have been given a little bit longer with Brian. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Blue Moon podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now.
1: Anuve Rosler talking about what it was like after the manager had moved on.
5: I think affected affected the club in terms of the the following year we went we went relegated. Um, um, I felt um, at the time, you always will have in the squad players who are very attached with the manager, and we have players who who maybe not play as much as they think they should, and uh, and they are happy for a change because that open up doors again so at that time I felt when Brian announced it and it was after the Blackburn game um, I felt uh, the general mood of the group was was very very low Uh, it was a lot of players he signed at the time and uh, we felt uh, we were just two or three players short in certain positions to to maybe have a chance to finish top ten so on another side we also understood that Football and, and uh, the board or the chairman make decisions. We players, we have to respect. But the general mood from the group and also for myself, uh, I was very low after Brian announced that after the game.
0: This is the Blue Moon podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon.
1: So, John, we can't ignore the fact that it was a disastrous start to the following season under Alan Ball. Uh, it eventually saw City relegated on the final day of the 95-96 season. They had... Um, it was was it one point from the first ten games of the next season.
2: <laughs> it was horrendous. It was horrendous because well, I think everyone was sad that Brian went. Um, it, but even those ones who thought it was probably the right decision. Um, but when it was announced, it was Alan Ball. Uh, that was a lot. <laughs> was, you thought, oh my god, what what have we got here? Um, he was, you know, he had a he had a bad reputation as a manager. He'd had one season with Southampton when he'd done okay, um, but other than that, he was awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and there was a lot of worrying stories about that time. The the, the one about him getting his World Cup medal out, and saying, "Right, I've won that. You've won nothing." Um, she's not, it sounds to me like a horrendous way to go into a club and try and get players on your on your side. Uh, they were dire. They were absolutely dire at the start of the season. I think the, the lowest point, although they didn't win any of those early games, was going to Liverpool in the League Cup and losing 4-0. And then playing Liverpool three days later and losing 6-0. Which <laughs> <thought> <laughs> Ten goals, was, in. yeah. What is it? What has he learned from that game? Um, but, I, yeah. I mean, I don't want to... Dwell on Alan Ball, but there were some great <laughs> yeah, moments. But we can. <laughs> <laughs> there were, crazy. you know, he brought in Georgie Kingkladsy, which was, which was the only thing worth going to watch at times. But that was probably more local in judgment.
1: Well, let's. I mean, let, let's let's bring it back round to, to Brian Horton because um, I, the one thing that I, I don't know, if, I don't know if you find this surprising. I, I found this a bit surprising. Perhaps I'm perhaps I'm wrong to find it like this. Uh, but Horton's win percentage at City was thirty point two, and that's his lowest of anywhere in his career, apart from an, an eight game spell he had back at Macclesfield in in twenty twelve. He'd done better at every other club as a, on his win percentage than at City.
2: Yeah, but I don't think he ever had a bigger job than he, than he did at City. Uh, he, I don't think he had another job in the top flight so that's where it's, it, it was it, that's where it was toughest um, but I think it was a lot to do with his philosophy he went, he went out to win games not to not to
1: draw games so he got picked off yeah right uh, We're well, going to finish with some uh, audience questions um, Richard Donlan asks on Instagram uh, why was there such a contrast between City's home and away form those years
2: again uh, um, Again, I think it's probably the way they played, and that they were a little bit too open. Um, and which you know, you can get away with at Main Road when you've, you know, I think it was always a good atmosphere at Main Road then. They were completely behind the team, um, and it was harder, harder away from home. And I'm not sure they had the, quite the same fight as well
1: away from home. Yeah, Rob Pollard asks on Instagram as well, um, how much did Tony Colton's injury troubles hamper them? Um, yeah,
2: I mean, Cohen was a great keeper, and arguably the best keeper I've seen. You know, he certainly would challenge um, Edison and Weaver and Joe Hart as one of the best keepers that I've seen at, at City. Um, and Andy Dibble had a had a really really tough time as when he became number one. I mean, I remember I remember one game. I can't remember who it was against, but someone shot from outside the box and it rolled along the ground. And he just bent down to pick it up, and as he did so, it hit a bobble and hit him on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole Kipax just started laughing. And I thought, Oh, this is, that's not a good position to be in yeah. when your own fans are let. So Dibble had a tough time, Margotson was not great, and then we were talking about the Horton era uh, and that 5 0 defeat at. United obviously the goalkeeper that day was David um Ike Immel No it was
1: Simon Tracy Simon Tracy <laughs> Yeah goodness me yeah no Absolutely i'm i the worst i'm never seen i've I, 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 but and you've seen me play so i mean <laughs> i'm i'm going to take that as a compliment um i am interested a, a little bit uh, on tony Cotton because i i don't really remember him as as as, city's, as one of city's keepers um this isn't long after the back-pass rule had changed so i'm i'm guessing he played in an era pre backpass rule and post backpass rule um how was how was he kind of how what was it like seeing goalkeepers adapt to that
2: yeah it was it was really hard Particularly for the keepers who are who were of an age where they've been doing it for a long time, um, and obviously that that goal at Blackburn showed that Tony wasn't the best at it. Um, it was a, it was a yeah it was a mess. Um, I'm trying to think there was I'm sure there was one incident where someone scored where someone like Steve Redman passed it back to him. No, would it have been Redman? I don't know. Someone someone passed it back to him anyway, and he picked it up and there was a. Indirect free kick and a goal came from it. It was, it was probably entertaining, but it
1: was... not in the right way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, final question from uh, Mike Cook on Twitter. Uh, he asks, "Do you think Francis Lee should have backed rather than sacked Horton? He got the team playing some excellent football. It just needed building on."
2: Well, yeah, I think he, he chose the wrong man to replace Horton. So that's that's one. That's the starting place you go off. So you, yeah, I would have rather have had Horton carry on, and he was starting to build things. And there were players coming through. It was sad to see Flitcroft go, for instance, before he was at his absolute best, because he was a great player. Uh, he was a great player for City. Same with Lomas. Same, same with a couple of others. So they were starting to build things. You know, uh, you think we, we talked a lot about Paul Walsh. It, well, he was swapped for Jerry Jerry Craney, and I think that deal is, is infamous, isn't it, as possibly the worst deal ever in the club's history. So that certainly wouldn't have happened to the Brian Horton, so they would have been... <laughs> the difference in those two players is just absolutely
1: ridiculous. Extreme, isn't it? Right. Right. Uh, Well, that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast, Brian Horton special. Uh, Thank you very much to my guest, Gold.com's Jonathan Smith. Pleasure, thank you. Uh, Thanks to you for listening as well. If you'd like to leave us a rating and a review in all the usual places, it really will help us to attract some more listeners, and that helps us pay the bills through the advertisements, especially during this uncertain time. Don't forget also that you can listen to these lockdown specials in any order, so go back and check out some of our previous episodes. We've got plenty of topics covered, like Sven's only season in charge, every time City have broken their own transfer record, and The year that Kevin Keegan won promotion and entertained us all with Isle Berkovic and Ali Bernabia in the midfield. If you'd like to support the show we're still making Patreon bonus shows each week too. This week's is a look at each of City's Premier League title wins and what it meant to both the club and the supporters. That's available for two dollars a month or about £1.63 in the UK and for that amount you'll get a minimum of four extra podcasts each month. All about 20 minutes in length and there's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week. See you then
0: that was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast cheers mate thank you very much
3: no worries i need a cup of tea after that